got to stand up and do this. you got to stand and sing this chorus again. First, choir, come on. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Yeah. Oh. Choir, would you all stand up just a minute? Everybody in the choir? Everybody in the choir, stand up, please. Carol Ann, you can too. We, no, stand up so we can see you. <laughs> Don, listen, you all, you amaze me every week. Um, there, you, you are truly, truly an inspiration for somebody coming in like I do. And I've been in churches where you just kind of wade through the song service sometimes. You all have the heart and the soul and the devotion every Sunday. And I just want you to know I appreciate you, and I think this church appreciates you. Thank you. Wednesday night, I shared just a brief devotional as I introduced Mark chapter 6. And I just want to give you, in, in maybe five minutes of your time, a review of that, because I think it's really important for us right now, particularly through all the things that, that we're going through right now. Uh, Paula and I were talking about, Paula and I were talking about uh, some of the horrible things that are going on around us, whether it be climate change, whether it be the violence in the streets, whether it be uh, racial tension, all of these things in our country that are happening right now. And I really think that Jesus wants to speak through the church to deal with these things. But we have to be open and vulnerable to hear God's voice and be willing to step up as God's people and speak truth to power and sometimes speak truth to some of the the terrible things that cause our discouragement and depression because God is still sovereign. God is still on the throne. And there are times I think we need to look back at, at the 46th Psalm that says, be still and know the I am God. Not a God that, that has become dysfunctional or a God that has no voice or what in the world is God doing. I think there, there is a sense that in this world, we're going to see the things that we're seeing. It's called the empire of the flesh. And what the, the only way we can take on and overcome, not be overcome by, but overcome the empire of the flesh is by living out as kingdom activists to truly believe that God is still on the throne. And these things are not greater than God. But we have to be in tune, in touch, in sync with God's moving in this world. You know, God created all things in six days, rested on the seventh, but that doesn't mean he didn't start creating again on the eighth. We have this idea that God has created it all and it's all in motion and God's not doing anything else than what he's already done. God is continuing to create through you, through whom and what he has created. We, our purpose in life is being extensions of God's ongoing creation toward what is very good. We know as God's people what is very good. It's not just like, it's love. It's not just the absence of conflict, it's peace. It's not just self-gratification and happiness, it's joy. That's the very good 
of God's creation. And as God's people, we live in that life abundantly. And who is going to share the light in the darkness if we don't? But we can't do that if we ourselves are not prepared by the moving of the Spirit in our own lives. The saving and creating activity in our lives every day. So how do you do that? And so much of the time, it's not just doing something. You know, I, I remember when, when I came to Christ at 17 years old, and the evangelist got up and said, okay, now here's what you have to do in order to be a Christian. And he gave us this list of like 10 or 12 things. Now you've got to come to church. Now you've got to read your Bible. Now you've got to pray. Now you've got to tithe. Now you've got to witness. And if you didn't do those things, then you weren't a good Christian. Well, that's okay, but it's not about the doing, y'all. It's about being who you are in Christ. That those things that were listed that I just shared with you, it's not something you do out of obligation, but because you love God. You want, you want that, that communication. You want that intimacy with God. So how do you exercise that? How do you activate that? In Mark's gospel, one of the most heinous things that, that occurred to the disciples was the beheading of John the Baptist. And we look around and we see all these terrible things going on and we say, why isn't God doing something? Why did God allow John the Baptist, this champion of the faith, to be overcome by being beheaded by the emperor of Rome? And the disciples were sent out in the midst of that terrible thing that happened to share the gospel. In spite of that, Jesus sent them out. And I look at that in this text as as I see the way that this text moves. And I think in verse 30, the, the apostles returned to Jesus. After John the Baptist was beheaded, after this horrible thing, and, and the persecution that's happening from the Roman Empire to the, the early church, all of this is happening, and they returned to Jesus. They didn't retreat from him. That's important. Just that little phrase, the apostles came back to Jesus. And many of us right now have gone through so much stuff, and many of us have doubted And many of us maybe have retreated from church instead of returning to Jesus. I'm going to challenge you today for a different mindset. Rather than to retreat in fear of what is happening in the empire, to return to the Jesus of your salvation that continues to be given to you. For God so loved the world that he gave And he continues to give, to return to him. And they told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, here's the key. This is what I want you to remember. How do you develop, how do you engage that special revitalization in Christ? 
Here's how you do it. Come away. Come away. Get out of the world. Get out of the empire. Find yourself sacred space, holy ground, with no distractions from the world. We don't do that. In fact, uh, you know, I love this younger generation for the most part. I mean, no, I'm serious. I love this because they, they, see, they are so real at times about what they're experiencing. They'll tell you. But one of the reasons that I grieve for them is because they don't know what it means to be quiet. Earbuds everywhere, their phones. But it's also been called the loneliest generation that's ever lived on this planet. Don't know how to interconnect with people because of the noise, the distractions. I mean, I know students right now that I've taught that they'll stay up to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning once they get finished with their video games. Then they'll study, but they still have the music. They still, they're texting, doing all of these things. And I think, you know, technology is, is fine unless it disrupts your quiet time. There are times when you have to be silent, to come away, to come out of that if you're going to experience a presence in the very core of your being, your soul. We, are, we have starving souls today. We're very well nourished in the belly. We have a lot of entertainment. We have a lot of stuff that's out there that has even infiltrated our churches. But we need to be able to get away. As Jesus said, come away by yourself in sacred space to a desolate place that's just designed for you and God. Now, you know, I, I don't always have prayer with my wife, probably not as often as I should, because I'm used to, at this point in my life, drawing away. We now have a room in our house that we designate as a worship room, and we don't have distractions in there. We have all my books, you know, but no distractions. And, and I can walk into that room now, and it's like an oasis for me. It's a quiet place, a desolate place, and just rest a while, he said. Just rest. If Jesus rest, if God rested on the seventh day, how important is it for us to learn how to rest? Not to be lazy, but to activate faith by being silent and listening and taking a breath of fresh prayer. You're not going to make it if you don't. You're not. And some of y'all may not are make, not making it now as a Christian because that you have not developed that discipline to just spend quality time in sacred space with your God. Folks, that's the only way we're going to survive. Not to mention thrive as a church body. Because he said, many are coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And so they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. You have this 
sacred space. Now hear me. You have this sacred space, this time, quality time with God between the beheading, the the terrible beheading of John, this terrible event that happened to when they actually came back to Jesus. And now what is Jesus doing? He's prepping them for a miracle. There's more to this than just John the Baptist's beheading. There is more to what's going on in our country, in our world, than just these terrible things that are happening. And the only way we can get beyond, to overcome those things, the only way that God can use us as God's people, as light in this darkness, is for us to cultivate that time with him and, and with each other. We're not going to make it otherwise. These apostles who walked with Jesus were not going to make it all the way to the cross if they didn't spend quality time with Jesus. That's my Wednesday night. So how do you do that? On your sheet, whoa, on your sheet, I want you to look down at the dynamics to reading the Bible. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and and most of us know that story, and I'm not going to go into all the details of that, just a couple things I want to point out to empower you, to enable you today. When you have your getting away time, use your Bible. Here is a, a helpful hint in how to do that. The miracle that Jesus performed in the feeding of the 5,000 is not just an event that is in some way debated by science of whether it happened or not. That's not the point. The point of the miracle in the scripture is not simply to see an event outside the norms of scientific knowledge. I'm going to tell you right now as your interim pastor, I support science. I believe in science. Science does not in any way negate the reality of God's existence. It, in fact, empowers it. When you discover how things happen, but science can't answer the question why things happen. So science doesn't bother me. It's not science versus religion, okay? But there are those who will debate miracles never happen because science can't explain it. Science can also not explain most everything in physics. It's taken by faith that these things are there, right? And just because science can't explain it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. All right? So, um, it's not just outside scientific knowledge. It's not just illusion. Jesus was not a magician um, who just did random sleight of hand and illusions. Or it's not even a random act of power of Jesus. It's not just that, well, why are there miracles? Because Jesus showed his power. No, there's a purpose with the miracles. Every miracle has meaning. And it's done in the context of human history and real time for that moment. Why doesn't God perform miracles today? You're not looking. You're not participating. And I'm not talking about this same type of miracle where we feed 5,000. There are some amazing things that God's people are doing right now that are miraculous in southeast Kentucky. Don't tell me the church is irrelevant and don't tell me that God doesn't do miracles. He's doing miracles right now through God's people as they participate. 
those are the kind of miracles we're talking about. But the miracles that we have in the Scripture are manifestations. That's the word there. They are intentional manifestations revealing of God's creative and saving activity in the moment. And these people needed to see that. Feeding of the 5,000. Jesus said you'll, you'll be able to see even greater miracles, right? The greater miracle is more than 5,000 people are being fed in southeast Kentucky right now because God is mobilizing his people. God's doing that through people that are listening who have had their sacred space in their quiet time and they say, they look at that situation and they say, this will not stand. By God's will and by God's grace, this will not stand. Lord, here am I. Send me. And when that happens, you see miracles. Does that make sense? So when you look at the feeding of the 5,000, you know, I can get into this instinctively. Instinct simply means self-preservation. So, you know what? Now stay with me. I'm not going to tarry much long, but stay with me. If you really want to do Bible study, if you really want to get the, the gist of it, Okay. Instinct says, if I'm going to be a Christian, that pastor, that evangelist told me, I have to read my Bible. So I will do that by obligation. I will read my Bible for self-preservation to say, I'm a Christian. I may not get anything out of this, but you know what? I will do it mechanically because it's going to help me be seen as a church member or a Christian. That's instinct, self-preservation. You ever read the Bible that way? Oh, it's 10 o'clock. I, gotta, I have to read my Bible. And I read it, close it up, and put it aside. But I've done my self-preservation as a Christian. My identity as a Christian, I read the Bible. And that's not bad. Modulation, folks. Andre Crouch. Modulation. Progression. Climbing Jacob's Ladder. We're going to climb that a bit. I can also read it, not just with instinct. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying at this point? But also intuition. I have questions. One of the reasons I believe in God is because we all have ultimate questions, whether you're Einstein. Einstein called it, and he was an agnostic, maybe an atheist, but he believed that every human being had something called fascinating questions. Why? Because there are also ultimate answers. So we all have those. So we come to the Bible saying, okay, so I need an answer to this question. So I look, for the, I, I look in my table of contents, I look in concordance, and this says, okay, when I'm having a problem with addiction, I go to this passage. So I am looking for answers to my questions. And that's what's called intuition. I know that there's a place I can find answers in the Bible. So I read the Bible not just for self-preservation and instinct, but also to answer some of my questions. Because I know the Bible is unique. It has answers. That's another way to read the Bible. Pick it up intentionally to try to find answers to my questions. This is seminary thinking, all right? And I've been there. I have my doctorate. All right, so I can say this. 
there's another way to read the Bible that's just intelligence. I'm going to read this scripture and I'm going to decide, first of all, whether the miracle really happened. You know, Jesus, five loaves, two fishes, you know what it really probably was with my intelligence? When Jesus started feeding everybody, other people had food too, so they started giving. And so everybody was fed because Jesus sparked that within the people who were there. So, you know, know, using history, using theology, using New Testament criticism, intelligence tells me I can figure this out. One more thing. Do you read it like that? Do you read it with that critical mindset? Or are you reading the scripture with a soul-driven reading? which is what the Bible is. You're to read it with the eye of the soul. That's where we mess up. Take the Bible out. I read it because I have to. Take the Bible out because I have, I have questions and I'm looking for answers. I take the Bible out and I read it objectively, trying to criticize what I believe or what I don't believe. Here's the topper, you all. When you start in that sacred space, reading the Bible as you would consume a steak, savoring it, taking it in, consuming it, waiting for the Spirit to reveal to you what the message is, not just all the the dynamics to the story, But what is it that Jesus is trying to say to us through this miraculous event? How can I be in that drama that I am transformed by what happened here? Insight, the wisdom that is only given to you by the Holy Spirit. And why would the Spirit want to entrust any wisdom to you if all you're going to do is read this by instinct or by intuition or by intelligence. God wants to reveal to you a truth that is going to transform who you are to be more like Christ. That's the insight. That takes lingering with the Spirit, lingering with the Word, finding that place to get away to a desolate place and let God speak to you through His Word. See, I I love... uh, I love individuals that truly get it to teach me what they get out of the scripture. I love hearing personal testimonies of people who have accepted Christ and this is what their journey is like. But you know what the wonderful thing is? I can read that passage with that kind of attitude, getting away to a desolate place by myself and listening and letting the Spirit draw me into the meaning of that text. But what I share and what I get out of that text from my God through Christ may not be the same message that Darlene gets in the same passage. And when we get together as church family and I say, what did you you read in this? And she shares with me what she got. I said, oh, that's amazing. 
That's incredible. And I can share with her what I get out of the text. That is truly a devotional lifestyle in your church. It's not just what I share with you. Don't believe what I tell you just because it's something that affects my life. How has this affected your life? So the only insight I want to share with you about this story, and I'm going to close with this, is first of all, when Jesus saw the people, he didn't ask them if they were going to do something. He said, what are you going to do? <laughs> it, was, it was a given. It was the, I mean, if you're going to be an apostle of Jesus, you're going to follow his example, right? So you're not going to just ask, oh, maybe I should do something. No, that's a given. God's people are called to be so they can do. There's, there, it's the modulation. You find the joy of that kind of service. So Jesus said, you give them something to eat. The, they wanted to send the people away. The apostles said, send them away into the city and they can fend for themselves. No, it is no longer time for people that we know that are out there that are hurting and hungry and starving and alone and depressed to do things by themselves. We cannot send them away. We invite them to us. I'm going to be doing some teaching at uh, Academy of Individual Excellence in, in Louisville. And I was listening to the executive director, and he said, here's what you do as a teacher. Don't you go to them Don't you impose the curriculum upon them. You invite them to come to you. That's the example of Jesus. Listen, brothers and sisters, if God is going to use us, we need to understand we can't send people away because of their need. And I honestly believe that God is going to allow each of us to identify individuals within our circle when we start being more sensitive to God's presence with our quiet time, listening for God. God will entrust to us what we can only be entrusted with. Can he trust you to bring people to you? There are individuals right now that invite them to lunch. And what is your story? Tell me about you. I'm not going to just invite you to church to fill a pew or to maintain our church program. That's not what we're about. What grew this church was people caring about people, and it will continue to do that. I'm not interested in church hoppers. I'm not interested in proselytizing. I'm interested in people that that are out there that need to know the Jesus that you know and that you cultivate that relationship with every day. You know people. But we have to call them to us by meeting them where they are. That's what Jesus is saying. These people are hungry. Don't send them away and hope that the government's going to take care of them. They're going to find somebody that that is going to care for them. That's how gangs grow in the inner city. But you go to them, 
And they started counting the cost. It's going to, you know, to feed all these people, it's going to take six months' salary. Okay. Yeah, your point? What is it going to invest of us? Um, last thing, I promise. I'm trying. I know you want to get out, I, I'm, but some of you are tuned in. I taught 12th graders in high school. We had a leadership class and only had 12 of them. And one of the guys decided he was going to be a song leader in church. He had a really ratty guitar. And he played in chapel. And, and we all realized you know, this guitar was almost warped. And there was a girl in the class. They had no romantic feelings, honest. They had no romantic feelings. But she said, you know what? She told me, she said, he needs a new guitar. You know what she did? She got a part-time job at Buca de Peppa serving tables every night for three months. She saved her money, her tips, and bought him a Taylor guitar. The guy, the, the, the good Samaritan, took care of the guy that was beaten up on the side. The religious people sent him away. They went on their way, did all their religious stuff. The good Samaritan stopped and said, this guy needs help. And he invested in him. He took him to the inn, remember? Put him on his own donkey, took him to the inn, said, you take care of him. I got to go somewhere, I'll be back. Whatever he, he spends, I will pay for it. Remember that? You know why? He had to go back and work for it. That's what the rabbis teach about that story. Is he left because he didn't have enough to care for him. He went back and worked to get money to come back and take care of the guy. He didn't just send him away and say, well, caution to the wind, just do the best you can. Do you know what's going to happen to this church? And some of you are already doing this. I get it. But just as a healthy reminder, you know what's going to happen to the church who has that kind of mindset that you spend that time with God and God stirs you up and he gives you vision and and you begin to see those needs around you and you say, you know what, this will not stand, but I will. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Folks, you want an insight from the story? You got it. It's not just Jesus did this wonderful miracle, fed 5,000 people, showed the power of Jesus. Yeah, intellectually, yeah. But it's a story for us now. There are people that are starving. And we have what they need. If I look at this intellectually, if you want to go out of here with something intellectual, here it is. Five loaves stand for the law. Two fishes stand for the gospel, the witnesses, fishermen. You send out the law, you send out the gospel, you save people. If you want an intellectual kind of thing, there it is. Yeah, I've been to seminary too. But that, gosh, that's not the point. The point is that we're in the story. And some of you in the story, we could say right now, you're starving. I get it. I get it. 
because you have not yet received the love, the grace, the compassion, the salvation of Jesus that gives you a life worth living and a reason to get up in the morning. I understand. That's why we're here. I don't judge. Please, don't, please return the favor. We're all in this together. I understand that. But Jesus is still Jesus. Even when God's people don't reflect him, he's still Jesus. And some of us here, just as Christians, we just need to be maybe revitalized, re-inspired, a new vision, a, a new sense of why we do what we do. And that's why I think I'm here right now. I think together there is such potential in this church for God's people to come away and return to Jesus and embark upon the mission for which God has planted this church for years and it's still here and we're still standing and we're still seeking. I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, Return to Jesus. Find that time. And let's see what God does with what he has here. I love you. Or I wouldn't be here. And you, you, you welcomed me the first time. You went through two years. We went through two years trying to figure it out. <laughs> what are we doing? And by the grace of God and your heart, you, you welcomed us back and we feel at home. I want to see God do something mighty here, but I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. We can just love each other and encourage each other. Please take this admonition today and begin anew, fresh. Find that time. Draw away and return to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your love, your grace, your tender mercy. I thank you for the atmosphere in this moment, for the, even the new life that we hear with this, this child, Lord, that is reminding us that there is new life to emerge in this church. Thank you for that baby. Thank you for the message that we hear in the tender cries of that child. Help us to be childlike, amazed and in awe of what you do in our lives every day. Help us, Lord, to to return to you with heart, mind, soul, and strength and to continue to be devoted to the mission of your church and in love with one another as a family of faith. We give you praise and honor and glory as you challenge us to go deeper in our belief and in our devotion to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we close and sing.